It's it's just funny though because it's like I so I they use Google Hangouts the entire freaking quarantine, and like then all these people I'm seeing like messages from my parents and they're like, oh my god, like getting this is a difficult setup, and I'm seeing this shit on LinkedIn and people are like, oh my god. I'm having so many problems with Zoom and there's all these memes and stuff on SNL or like people are struggling with it and I'm just like laughing at them. I'm like, ah, how do you have such a hard time setting up Zoom? And then I come on here and it's like freaking impossible. I'm like, the audio is coming out of the wrong spot. My microphone's not working and like I have to use four different programs and I can't figure out what's going on. How do I admit Nick to the call? It's just fucking ridiculous. Um... This entire thing is ridiculous. Um, we should probably introduce ourselves, right? That's probably kind of yeah. the goal of what we're doing. Okay, you want to go first? Sure. Um, did you already start the recording? Yeah, yeah, it's been going. Cool. So I'm Nick. I am 24. I have a background uh, from Northwestern as a biomedical engineer. Worked in business for two years between consulting, sales, running a startup. And now I'm off to working towards med school. So that's me. I'll go for me. Um, my name's Josh. Um, I was going to say similar thing, but it's honestly not similar at all. I'm like, I'm, I'm basically the same guy as you. But then I like, I'm like, no, not at all. Um, let's see. I, I went to school to originally be a software engineer and then ended up graduating with a communications and business degree. Um, I worked for a few bigger companies. I worked for Samsung. I've worked for uh, Sprint. I've worked for a tech startup. Um, right now I work for Motorola. Um, mostly doing training. Um, to try to develop people, but uh, I think officially my role would be like um, intelligence tracking and ballistics identification, which is a previous product I was working on. Um, I don't know. It's kind of where I'm at, but it's probably more people are actually here to listen to, if there are any people listening, is what we're here to talk about, which is probably summarize it and then kind of what we're doing over quarantine. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, the main thing to keep in mind just from the introduction is just I'm coming very much from a engineering into business background josh's coming from a self-made communications into business background so hey, don't figure... think I, mean, I, I successfully failed out of an engineering program <laughs> <laughs> i suppose that is uh, something you do uh hold to your name yes it's but, a big uh, accomplishment <laughs> the main thing is we come from very different backgrounds and we're coming at this from a uh, fairly young i'm mid-20s he's late 20s so just given a millennial perspective on some pretty common topics yeah um I and together we, we run summarize it which was just a, like a passion project we started that we're gonna be working continue to work on as we continue our careers i mean i think that's the whole thing right like it's like we sort of summarize it and the whole idea was just like we've been so freaking bored during quarantine mm-hmm. or like i mean you can just chime in but it's like it sucked man like it sucked for everyone <laughs> obviously there's a purpose here right like we're trying to do a good thing um but I'm just hoping that like a lot of people end up doing good things and like kind of these ideas boil to the top after people are stuck inside for like three or four months at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it's boiled out of. So um, I was going to ask you actually, I had a bunch of things written down. Like what do I ask Nick for this hour? <laughs> so I was going to say basically like what's been the highlight of quarantine for you or like what is your like positive view on quarantine as uh, what's going on? For me, it was a chance, and I think a lot of people have used this time productively, not in terms of you know getting a lot done, but a lot of thinking time that people normally don't use. And I did something similar. I left my previous consulting role about like around right the time the pandemic was starting, or at least starting to get publicized. Uh, and from then, I like decided, hey, I'm stuck home. 
I'm going to use this time to figure out who is Nick and what does Nick actually want to do with his career? Because as I mentioned at the start, I have a pretty diverse background, but with that diverse background comes a lot of decision-making to figure out, okay, I haven't really specialized in any of this. So what's think, the next step? And Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say one of the most interesting things about you, and I guess it's one of the things I appreciate, actually, and it's probably why I enjoy talking to you so frequently, is just, like, you have such a diverse set of interests. So, like, okay, you're into, like, ballroom dancing. That's, I'm like, that's super random. And then you're like, actually, I'm going to do, like, some kind of martial arts and kickboxing. You're like, okay, that bores me, too. And you're like, well, you know, time to do this. I'm just going to really get into starting a company, and then, um, actually, I'm going to be a doctor at the same time. <laughs> this guy is freaking nuts. And then, <laughs> I've, I've liked to try out new things. And so, but I, I also <laughs> recognized pretty recently after a discussion with you that you need to specialize at some point. And so uh, it was only recently that I decided wholeheartedly like, hey, this is the direction I'm going to go in. This is the direction I'm going to commit myself to. And I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to open my own private practice. And that's really the best thing that came out of quarantine for me is if I didn't have quarantine, it would be harder for me to set aside the time to just think and figure out what do I do with my life. I think I had a similar experience. And I don't necessarily was know about like my career. It was somewhat about my career, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a, a long, deep look at like what actually makes me happy. Because mm-hmm. I think specifically in my life, I've gone through many, many years of like, you, you set up this goal. You're like, after college, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to grind really hard to make that happen. Then I'm going to make <laughs> this happen. And then you sit back and you're like, wow, am I actually happy? And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think I'm pretty happy, maybe. But like, what is happiness? And like, what am I trying to do in life in the next 10 years? Yeah, I feel like more and more with our generation, especially us because we're very, very lucky in terms of our circumstances where, you know, we've worked hard, but at the same time, we've never had to worry about feeding ourselves. Yeah. Like, it's not like we're going to struggle to make ends meet. So, well, I mean, it's just the idea that, like, we both work from home during this. Like, that, right. that's crazy in itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and so my point with that is mostly just that I think we kind of hit a quarter-life crisis type of thing where it's like, hey, I'm working, I'm making money, I'm self-sufficient, why am I not fulfilled? Exactly, like, what is my goal here? <laughs> yeah, And then you're like, I'm going I'm to do all these things, and then hypothetically, it's going to make me feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, this doesn't... And I, I wonder if that goes back to, like, a deeper thing. I was having a conversation with Brandon, who's a friend of ours, and we were talking about, like, things that drive us, right? Like deeper, darker things that drive us. And like what I really got it down to is I'm like, oh, there's like a level of self-hate here is like what it, what's going on. It's like the, uh, it, it's not a necessarily healthy thing, you know? You're like, okay, mm-hmm. like I need to improve myself in this way. I need to do this. And it's like this relentless path of just trying to improve yourself without any like visible goal, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you, you define a goal, but... I guess I'm still at that. Like, I guess my ideology right now is that I'm like making a company and making a successful company will make me happy because mm-hmm. it was, this is a tangent, but I think it relates back. Like I had a conversation with my boss maybe a year ago and we mm-hmm. were discussing money and she's like, well, like would more money make you happy? And I'm like, straight up like, yeah, I'll, I'll take more money. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would, I'll take a commission check, mm-hmm. but realistically it is this internalized feeling where I'm like, like money is great and all, mm-hmm. but like I don't actually know if that will make me happy in the same mm-hmm. in the way that a sales manager thinks money. You know, it's it, it's really funny because I feel like that's the first thing when you not threaten to leave when you start to consider leaving a company and you bring that conversation up with your manager. Most often, the thing that comes up is like, oh, well, what if we pay you more? 
And I have yet to encounter a situation where somebody has really left solely because of the pay. I don't think people do like, so this is like a two prong thing, right? Cause we were having the conversation earlier today where I'm like, Oh, like what amount of money? Like, we'll keep, cause okay. There's stats out there where it's, it's like you career hop and you make a larger bonus, but I'm like, I really like the company I work for. I kind of want to stay mm-hmm. here for a long time. And then you, but you hear all these things where like, well, like I do this and then I'll leave for two years and this is how I get these big bumps in salary. Mm-hmm. And I was having this kind of conflicting moment where I was like, I like where I work, but simultaneously, I just don't like the idea that there's this concept that you have to leave a company to mm-hmm. leverage better pay. Like those two things shouldn't be, you shouldn't be able to be so stuck in the culture and being happy at a company that you feel like you're getting screwed over on pay, but you're not willing to sacrifice the cultural benefits. Yeah. So then I kind of feel well, like- I, And I would say, job. just to be clear, I don't think you find, um, I don't think you think you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't think you're being screwed and pay at your current company. No, no, no. I'm fine. Like my life's pretty, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just a matter of it's whenever companies see a strong candidate, they will offer more to try to take it than your current company will typically offer to try to keep you. I guess. Yeah. Cause they need to actually incentivize you to come over there. Cause leaving the company is actually kind of a yes. hassle. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the case. That's kind of, a yeah. And so that just continues climbing. And so, the common thread that I'm sure you've heard that I've heard is the best way to spend your early twenties in terms of your career is jumping diagonally across companies. Yeah. And then no, once I, you're in your early thirties, then you can stay at one company for a while. I, I just, I, so I understand that's the reality. I just don't like it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, this is stupid. Um, yeah. It is. And, and, and I think there's a lot, too, yeah, there's a lot so wrong with the business people. world right now for sure. Cause like, what does it cost to recruit a new person? right? Like mm-hmm. you have to like pay the recruiter some amount of money and then you have to onboard that person. They're not going to be effective for like six months. Like it's another kind of tangent. And it's something I want to talk about today is like, oh my God, like the importance of being in, in person at work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've missed it. I, you, had a, you had a more travel heavy job than I did. I did. Um, but geez, man, like I've been training so many people over quarantine and I went in for one week last week. We've been doing this like rotating thing where like six, seven people, whatever it may be, go into the office and we social distance and chill and whatnot. But it was, one, it was quite literally the happiest I've been all quarantine. Like, I've been lucky mm-hmm. enough to have you and, like, a bunch of other my friends. Like, I can just interact with people nonstop over quarantine. Mm-hmm. But just seeing people in person was fantastic. And then the other thing I noticed is, like, there's these small conversations happening. Maybe you're walking the hallway with someone or maybe you're just, like, stopping to get some water. And you these ideas bubble up. You're like, well, we could just do this better and this happen better. And like every single day during that week, something would happen where I'd be like, Oh, like, Hey Charlie, like what if we did this? And I called Elena and then we like put this project in action and these interns could do this. And then we could get this done for like, instead of getting marketing money to do it. And this would be like way more efficient. And those ideas never bubble up when you're working from home. I feel like, cause you're never having these casual conversations. You're just like in a meeting, you know, and I think more than that, when you're working from home, your mind isn't entirely on work. No matter how good you are at focusing, there's a lot more in your environment that can pull you away. It's not like, yeah, it's like even I have a home office, but it's like, I don't know, you get distracted by the smallest stupid things. You're like, oh, the dishes like, could probably... Yeah, it affects productivity. And my point with the brainstorming thing is if you're in the work environment and in a place that's conducive to always thinking about the work you're doing, you're naturally going to have those ideas bubble up just because it's... a the work is on your mind. You're thinking about it. It's kind of like how people go to a library to study. Like, I feel like that's something I never really did in college, 
but I reconcile now that like going to a library to study is probably more effective than studying mm-hmm. in your dorm. Oh, totally. Especially if, especially if you have things in your in your uh, apartment or in your dorm that are more casual. Like, say yeah. you have you know your alcohol in your apartment, or you have video games. Like, it's you have factors near you that can easily pull you away when you get tired or bored or whatever. Whereas in a library, you don't have that distraction. You're pretty much forced to either continue studying or leave. So, okay, I got a question for you. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll lead in kind of a statement. So I have had a, I've had a really wonderful time training onboarding some people mm-hmm. um, over quarantine and teaching these interns, but I reconcile they are not getting the true experience that they deserve sure. because um, we're doing it remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not able to ask questions as frequently and have these kind of conversations with people surrounding them that build good company culture. But there's obviously a lot of people discussing, like you see Google and Microsoft and a lot of companies being like, okay, work from home forever. Mm-hmm. And I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Because like I originally, I'm like, this is great. And I really supported work from home. And then by like multiple months into quarantine, I'm like, actually, I totally do not support work from home continuously forever for most jobs. Yeah. I think there are people that can have an independent job. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not trying to make like an all-encompassing statement. I just, right. what are your thoughts on that? I've been on both sides of the aisle in terms of roles from a corporate standpoint. I've worked in places where you had to go to the office. My most recent job was completely remote where I'd either be on the road traveling or working from home. And so coming from that perspective of, you know, prior to quarantine, seeing both sides, work from home is very much glamorized at least it was prior to quarantine now i think people recognize like hey it's really not that amazing yeah Um, i think maybe it's better when you're older like if i'm like a single mom and i have kids this is probably dope yeah there are some lifestyles that are more conducive to work from home as opposed to going into an office like if you're a parent and have a kid or multiple kids that you need to take care of because your spouse works in the office that's the way it is child care yeah, um, but there know. is there is that element of if there is any teamwork involved, I think that there's a lot to be said for accessibility in person. It's just, I, I think you miss out on um, you miss out on those interpersonal moments. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I think you can effectively do your job, but you're not. Maybe this goes back to what we were saying earlier. Maybe it's easier for people to switch jobs so frequently because they don't get ingrained into the company culture and build mm-hmm. those friendships and things like that. And they're just like kind of in and out. They're working from home. So like switching jobs becomes very easy because you're like, totally. I just do the stuff that my boss tells me to do, right? I think, yeah. I think one of the hardest parts about me leaving my most recent role, I wasn't ingrained in the company culture, but I did have a very close relationship, I would say, with my immediate coworkers and my boss. And that was very hard to leave. And I was only working with them directly for six months. I was in a different department prior to that. And so with that in-person interaction, with that frequent communication and building of culture, uh, I feel like that lends itself a lot to longevity within a company. I think so too. Because it's like, I've always seen these guys in like this company that I'm working for that like the, the, the 20, 30 years guys, right? They started in like inside sales or something like that. Or they started as like some baseline engineer and they've worked their way up. And then what I'm realizing, I'm like, I have a lot of friends that work like in my department. And some of these people are still going to be here 20, 15 years from now. And like, mm-hmm. we are just going to collaborate so easily. Like there's something like, I have a coworker named Abby that now got moved to Texas, right? Mm-hmm. If I want to contact her, it's not like, there's no bullshit like with me being, oh, like 
Abby, I really want to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. Or like type in this like formal email. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's like completely appropriate for me to just text her and be like, Abby, where's this like finance thing? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or like call her and ask. Right. Questions. You built like, that connection. Like you exactly. no longer need to go through the formalities that are expected at first. It just makes things more efficient. Mm-hmm. And like people also, you have a lot of people where you just don't need to teach them all this stuff over and over and over again. We're like, where's these documents? Where's this branding information? How do I find X? How does blank system work? You know what I'm saying? And I think mm-hmm. overall it just makes your job easier and easier to do. I learned I this think, a little bit. Sorry, go. You go first. I was going to say, I think that company loyalty, like both companies' loyalty to employees and employee loyalty to companies has just greatly diminished over the past couple of decades. I looked into that and I don't think it was true. I think like, I'm going to pull up stats right now, honestly, and you can just talk, but yeah. I remember reading somewhere, I think it was Planet Money and NPR, where they're talking about job movement rates were actually higher in the 80s than they really? are now. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That like millennials get this like rap for switching careers really quickly, but it isn't actually true. Let me look so this up. So it's not a generational I... thing. It's just really a workplace thing that's just been always. I think it's been perpetuated. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm also worried that it gets perpetuated by like the upper management in a company where mm-hmm. they're like these millennials moving around so much. Um, when in reality, you know, what I mean, like they might have done the same thing and. Um, that maybe that's just like a problem with how we look at generations as a whole. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where there's almost like this competitive layer between them. Let me let me yep. Google this. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Should I like sing a little song while I do this? What would you even say I type into Google right now? Uh, I would say... Job switching rates. No, I'd say turnover rates. Turnover uh, rates? Yeah. Turnover by, rates by decade? By decade, yeah. Okay, let's see. Workplace turnover rates on the rise. Interesting. Okay. Let's see. How to determine turnover rate? You know, Google is so good just because it's like, I've been thinking of this recently of um, when your parents were kids or like not even kids, but like in their 20s and mm-hmm. they'd be like, I have an idea. And then your, your mom, I guess in the scenario, would be like, what is your idea, honey? And then you'd be <laughs> like, well, what if blank is blank? And then she's like, well, we'll just have to find out or I guess we go to the library. Or like, and then like nobody answers the question, right? Or you have like this crazy argument about like who's right and something like that and nobody like there's nobody available to fact check it then everyone just comes over to my apartment now and we just scream we're like hey google how many trees in paris and it'll be like fifteen thousand and two hundred and forty two. and you're like see my google home actually just answered right now that's really funny yeah it's, wait, it's, wait 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 I'm, I'm listening to it There's 420,000 trees in Paris. It has the most trees um, of most no, most trees of any European city. Not any oh, European yeah. city. I'm having a hard time hearing from the other room. I'm just surprised it heard me. Mm. Okay. Sorry. We're looking at this data. Yep. Okay. I've accepted that I'm not going to find the chart that we're looking for that's accurate enough. Annual turnover rates. Oh, we got it. Okay. Uh, this only goes back to 2007. Oh, that's hmm. still fairly, that's still somewhat recent. Okay, turnover rates seemed to peak in 2008 after the financial crisis, which kind of makes sense, and then Mm -hmm. went down in the mid-2000s. They hit their lowest in 2011, and then they have been going up since, but they haven't hit the peak that they were at in 2008. Interesting. How far back does the graph go? This one I'm looking at only goes till 2007, but I'm trying to find one that goes farther back. Yeah, I'd be curious about decades. I would be too. I kind of want to fact check myself on that. Okay. Five decades. 
turnover right I don't know anything else in your mind um it's I think it's always an interesting I, I think a lot about corporate America even though I'm like gradually moving further and further away from it because I'm going to med school which is as far from corporate as you can get in a high level career I mean you're going to work in a giant corporation is the funny part well, depending on how I take it, I could theoretically do my own private practice, which That's is true. the goal. Uh, but anyways, I was thinking about corporate America and culture, and I have I, – I talk with a lot of friends who are currently working in corporate, and I know very few who truly feel extremely loyal to their brand to the point where, like, they won't leave their company even if there are better opportunities. I think I only hit that point – because my other my previous job sucked so bad, like so bad, and the the, um, the culture was okay. Have you ever gone through life, and then you have like the point where you're like you don't know how bad things can be mm -hmm. until like you experience something good. Like it's almost like Stockholm syndrome of like workplace Stockholm syndrome. Mm. And then like I came into my job and I'm like, wow, this is like not toxic. Mm -hmm. This is like I I thought that every corporation because the funny thing is like. I had like people doing ridiculous things in the office. And then our friend John was like, well, that's just corporate America. And John's like a teacher, right? So like okay. his only understanding of what corporate America actually is, is influenced by media, I assume, or maybe other friends of his. Right. Um, he hasn't experienced it himself before. Exactly. Um, and then when I experienced this, I'm like, oh, I'm treated like a human here. This is kind of nice. Mm -hmm. But then again, I don't know how much better I could be treated, but I also don't have any complaints. So, but I, I get that from most people I talk to. They're like, I hate this sucks or they don't feel really any um mm -hmm. they don't feel ingrained in the company culture one thing i've noticed um at least in my experience it feels like the smaller the company the more i've felt valued do you think it's just because when you have a small team then you're interacting with everyone and you kind of understand how the company works on a better level so there's not like any mystery to it um i think it's because you truly are more vital for the like continuing life of the company. I think that's a, so I think that might be, I'm not going to say this is a you thing because I think this might be related to a lot of people, but I think you in particular like to feel extraordinarily needed and knowing you're making a big impact in something. I do. I appreciate impact, but uh, I mean, if you were to, I, I suppose the difference is this at a couple of, so I've worked for a total of four different companies over the past three or four years. And I would like just the trend I've seen across those four is with the larger companies, I felt that if I quit or if I got fired, the company could ride the wave and figure shit out a lot more easily for the bigger companies than for the smaller ones. The smaller ones would suffer more from my loss than the bigger ones. Hmm. You just don't feel valued in a larger corporation, which I, I totally feel that. Mm -hmm. But is it the replaceability of your job? Is that like is that control? I think is it really like is the replaceability. I don't think it's as much the control. I think it's that you feel as though anyone can take your place pretty. You're just like a pawn in the system, like a cog and like. Right, because they've because at that point, the bigger the company is, the more they've gotten their systems in place, to the point where people are. As long as they stick to the system that's been created, the machine will continue running. I've, I've noticed some other things, too. And, like, I had a conversation with my boss about this a while ago where mm -hmm. 
we were having a discussion on people that make themselves be needed in a company so they can't be replaced. Mm-hmm. And how like they'll carve out. And I also listened to like a podcast about this a while ago on just like completely purposeless jobs that exist in like corporate America. Yep. Or they're almost like placeholders are like, we appreciate having you as talent that works for this company. But simultaneously, we don't know what job to give you right now, but we also don't want to give you up as talent. So we're just going to kind of yep. give you this purposeless job. And like they just create bloat. And mm-hmm. I have coworkers. I mean, right now I'm kind of in between roles, but I really see value in what I'm doing. Um, but like for a four month period, not four months, it was probably a, honestly like a two and a half month period. I was like really in between roles and I felt completely lost. And I was talking to another coworker and she was like, oh, I've done that. I did that for a year once. Yeah, I had no clue like what was going on. And I'm like, how, how did you accept not knowing what your job is for a year? How did they pay you for a year mm-hmm. just to exist? Like, oh yeah. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just nuts to me. Like, I think I'd probably lose my mind after like a little bit longer than that, where it's just like, I need to know I am doing something. Because maybe this goes back mm-hmm. to what we were talking about originally, where it's just like, you desire a purpose as a human being. Like you have to know, which is like the most depressing thing about quarantine, right? It was like, I, like, I feel so bad for all the people that have lost their jobs. Cause it's like inherently you wake up in the morning and you're just like, you need a purpose. Mm-hmm. Or at least I feel like I need a purpose. I don't know. You need something to do. Yes. Like, uh, I don't know. Like you just, like, you, you sit inside your home all day and you're just wondering and thinking. And I've really, really, again, going back to it, thought this has been the most beneficial time of my entire life as far as like self-realization of my political ideologies and um, self-realization of my goals and who I think of myself as a person and what I want to do. But simultaneously, if you are not the kind of person that enjoys sitting in a room alone, really thinking about your thoughts, mm-hmm. then this is probably a nightmare. Well, yeah, it's one of those thing this ties too into the topic we were talking about just the other day of happiness stemming from a combination of growth and impact yeah if you have those two factors then you theoretically should be happy based on that definition and i agree with that and if you lose your job if you get furloughed and you can't figure out like what to do instead or if you can't find another role you've now likely lost your impact and you're going to need to be pretty damn self-motivated to get that growth Mm -hmm. do you think the idea of like i mean it's like a deep like psychological thing not really deep at all when i think about it but do you think the idea of like true everlasting happiness is like an actual achievable goal in any capacity i think happiness is uh like not momentary happiness but like you wake up every day and you're like i am just freaking so happy to be alive like in sunshine and rainbows are shooting out of your ears and whatnot so i'm now this sounds very maybe it's just because of all the self-improvement stuff i've done but i stand by the idea that happiness is really self-created that happiness is a choice so i thought that for a long time but also like when i was super into exercising and i was like just busy all the time and i'd like I'd go to school, then I'd go to my mm-hmm. startup, then I'd go to the gym, and then like, I'd just grind. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, nonstop. Yeah. What it gave me is it gave me less of an opportunity to think about how I actually felt in any capacity. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't reflect on how I felt, then I, I guess for the entire time, maybe happiness is just you not actually reflecting on like, sadness, you know what I'm trying to say? Or, uh, I'm not. No, I don't. I think I think it is an active thing. I think you need to actively choose to be happy, similar to uh, 
one thing that's very, very commonly preached among uh, a lot of self-improvement ideologies or meditation, or really all of them, is practicing gratitude every morning mm-hmm. to prime yourself for that mindset. And if your life is naturally good, as in like it fulfills the things in your life that you want to have, sure, you'll be happy even without that. But I think that enables you to be happy despite it. Uh, like you're no longer relying on your circumstances to decide your emotions or letting your emotions reflect onto your circumstances. You know what I wonder about, like thinking about that, is uh, these people that exist, n- no harm to them, but like there's people that exist that get like massive trust fund money mm-hmm. and they basically don't need to work a day in their life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wonder how someone... Maybe money is just so intertwined with my idea of happiness because money is intertwined with my idea of success mm. that those people are probably maybe happier because they can just focus on doing all the time, doing things that generally give them joy. But simultaneously, I wonder if they're less happy because they don't necessarily serve a purpose or they're just kind of like existing inside you without like working. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm talking about like this like major, like uh, you're like Paris Hilton type from like the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They did mm-hmm. nothing until she had a reality show. Yeah. I think it very much is a self-motivation thing of people who are born into money or inherit a large sum of money. If they are intrinsically motivated to do stuff, then the money really doesn't matter. It'll just be a tool. But if they're extrinsically motivated, no matter how much money that they inherited or how much money they'll have, they still probably won't be satisfied. Okay. So bridging off of that, this is a Mm -hmm. complete shift, but like, Why do you want to start a company? Like we've been starting talking about starting a company for a long time, right? Uh, so I think this is different for Sunrise versus my own private practice. Or actually. even like the biotech stuff we've been, we were talking about in the car. Sure. So the reason why I'm interested in the idea of starting a company and why I really truly plan on doing it in some facet outside of Sunrise, it's Sunrise it is really just a... It's like a tool uh, to learn how to start it a company. It is. It's... it's I think this is really a sandbox to try different things and, you know, fail on a small scale. Or we got legal protection a for a sandbox. <laughs> it's so true, though. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a way for us to try things and figure stuff out so that when we do something that we are really, really, like, putting high stakes into, we're not entering it blind. We've encountered a lot of this before. Uh, and I think the that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I eventually want to start my own company in the future is because part of it is uh, part of it is a little bit of freedom, but more than that, I think you have a lot more control over the kind of impact you really want to make. Do you think there are just people that exist that are the kind of people that want to start businesses, or do you think that's the kind of something that's attainable to everyone? So I'll, I'll give a personal account really quick. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. I was like a little little kid, I wanted to be an architect, and then when I was getting a little older, I wanted to be an engineer. And those ideas were completely born out of the idea of just like, I liked making things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The idea yeah. of solving problems and fixing things is just like innately something that makes me feel fulfilled and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but simultaneously, when we talk about business ideas, I've never been like super attracted to the idea of like, oh, I can just start a small shop or like a lawn mowing business or like this small thing. I always get attracted to these big transformative ideas and like want to change the world, which I'm like, this is like a millennialism like setting into my brain or is this just like a kind of person? So I guess, do you think that there are, this is like an ideology that's taught or do you think this is an ideology that 
maybe like people just have because the kind of pure person they are like a psychological thing i think people learn from their experiences whether that's for engineering or for whatever facet i think that what you're exposed to very much dictates your realm that you're going to be inclined towards i so i've noticed that as well where like maybe this comes out of like socioeconomic stuff right mm-hmm. where when i was a kid like i grew up eh, less fortunate not like poor but like um my mom was a single mom my parents were divorced um it was kind of rough and then i kind of saw my my dad and my stepmom move forward in life economically and more and more as possible but i was pretty resistant to the idea of like money or wealth having any mm-hmm. inherent value on my life until I really started working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized like their success, I'm like, well, like this comes down to like uh, not really shitting on my parents thing, but I'm like, well, they believe in like ridiculous political things that I don't believe in because I'm a kid at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I can do whatever they can because they're so dumb, which is hundred percent naive. They're incredibly intelligent people. Um, and I think that's kind of what it was for me. I'm like, oh, I can do anything they can do. And it, what it makes me think about is like people like, I was talking to John a while ago, again, our teacher friend, and he works on the south side of Chicago. And I'm like, there, I want to do something eventually to show people that are more disadvantaged, um, like, like a mentorship thing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to like, because everyone, I think, needs kind of that example in their life to be like, oh, you can do it, man. Like, you can, you can actually feasibly achieve the American dream. Like, the American dream is not dead. You can, you can just start a company. You can yeah. do it. You can live your dreams. You just got to try really freaking hard and you're going to fail a lot. You know, it's interesting. I was talking with my uh, relationship coach the yeah. other day about this kind of thing. And this ties in very, very nicely to something she called expanders. Yeah. What's uh, a relationship coach, by the way? What is a relationship coach? Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody who helps. So in my case, I'm studying it not just for like intimate life, but for uh, friendships and forming and forming friendships, relationships, whatever you want to call them, with uh, the kinds of people I want to attract to my life. Yeah, I wasn't even aware this was a thing. This is very cool. Yeah, Yeah, so oftentimes people will have relationship coaches for if if they're having arguments or difficulties with their significant other. I'm doing it more from a partially for intimate life to attract the kind of people I want to attract, but also for friendships to make sure I'm really associating with the kind of people who I click with and not just associating with whoever is convenient. So is this a therapist or is this like a service, like a business service? Like what is this? It's more like coaching. Okay. It's, it's kind of like a coaching model more than a, uh, more than a therapist. Although one of the people who's working in that program is a, ther- is a therapy background. That is super interesting. I've never, like you're the kind of person though that you're like, oh, today I'm going to go to the sensory deprivation tank before I do Tai Chi. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, Nick, that sounds great. Um, but uh, yeah. anyway, should I back a little bit? <laughs> Um, with the, the whole expander idea was, um, oftentimes there's something in your life that you want to be true and you need to find people who demonstrate that that's true in order for you to convince your subconscious and yourself that, that, that it is. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, like on a financial basis, in order to believe that it's possible to achieve that kind of financial success, you need to associate with or be around people who have achieved that. That's so important. And that's something I've noticed recently where like as a kid, I think this comes down to a lot of our, like our friend group who I really appreciate, but I'm like, mm-hmm. they'd be like, you're on LinkedIn so much. Like you're, you're focusing so much on this. Like who cares about connections? What is a connection? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And like, I never 
had connections to help me get any of my jobs. I like what I did is I always leveraged LinkedIn to like message the VP of sales or whatever. And just be like, I want a job at your company. And they're like, you're in, you're insane. Okay. Like I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. And it ends up working out. Um, but Oh my God, the older I get, the more important I realize connections are until I like start like, like people like because come in my life or like I had an intern last summer in Landon. He was fantastic. And I'm like this kid, I need to, I need to work with this kid. Like mm-hmm. he's just killer. Um, or I, I've had quite a few people. Abby is one of them, the girl I mentioned earlier, just these people mm-hmm. that appear in your life and you're like, I need one day. I want to do something with some of these people. Yeah. Um, and I think what it was really hard is getting out of your comfort zone of your friend group mm-hmm. of like, uh, when I was in high school, I had a really toxic friend group. Right. And I'm like, I need mm-hmm. to get out of this because it's toxic. But then I never realized like, as I got older until maybe recently, not like recently, but like two years ago that I'm like, Oh, like I can have my friends, but I also like need to work on professional relationships with people and they can be my friends as well. And they don't have to be like part of my, my core group. But this is like making friends as an adult is something that frequently people don't talk about because they're like, oh, just making friends as an adult is super difficult and super hard when it really isn't. Um, I think that as soon as you show, I think you and I are similar in this regard. As soon as you show you genuinely care about the relationships you have with people, it feels as though creating them is much easier. I think so too, because I think there's a lot of superficial relationships that exist where you're like, oh, you're mm-hmm. just a friend of my friend. Um, but then when you like come to people and you meet them and you're like super, like, I mean, you know me, like I'm passionate about just about everything. Yeah, and if you actually, sh- like, I-, I think so much, uh, I-, I had this conversation with uh, another good friend of mine, Phil, I think you've met him. I've met Phil, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had this conversation the other day about how uh, he doesn't really understand how I've formed the friendships I have and maintain them. And I told him, like, honestly, most of the work is just about taking the initiative to reach out to them and, like, keep up with them. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. No. I've had this conversation with a billion people where they're like, oh, you have a lot of friends. And I'm like, man, like, I just, like, message people every once in a while to check in and, like, make sure that like, yeah, they're still like, in contact. Hey, it's, like, the minimal effort. Hey, this person just crossed my mind. Instead of, like, stalking them on Facebook or Instagram, let's message them, them and try message. and catch up with them. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, oh, this person, like, keeps so many here. friendships alive and being able to... This is another thing that always bothered me. Um, I hate so many MLMs, not because of the inherent structure, yeah. but because it's taking advantage of those close relationships that you've formed. It's gross because it's, it's the fact that like, I mean, this is part of like a sales thing that like I staunchly disagree with. And I was having a conversation with interns a few days ago and they're like, should I use the agent number or like the local presence number? And like mm-hmm. the local presence is like a number that like it makes up to pretend you're in that neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the last thing you want to do is start a relationship with lying to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of really like that back to LML, MLMs where it's like, okay, you have these relationships with people you care about. You, they're your friends or you can leverage them one day or you care about them in any way, shape or form. And then you're going to try to sell on them on like stuff that you don't really know if it works or not. I just mm-hmm. think it's, unless you really believe in the product and then you're specifically targeting people who would actually benefit from it, mm-hmm. um, then I think that's fine. Like I try to sell everything to everyone in the regard of like, I'm like, you would like this movie. And I like message another friend. And I'm like, you'd like this video game. And like, I'm mm-hmm. not getting money from this, but that's almost a way that I stay in contact with people. Yeah. I thought of you when watching Ad Astra. Mm-hmm. You and right. your girlfriend should watch that. It's the same way of like, some people will run across like a meme or some joke and be mm-hmm. like, oh my God, this, this person would love this joke. Yeah. It's the same kind of idea. It's funny how little effort that is, but how far it goes. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it'll spread out into like, I had this guy that I hadn't talked to since like, I don't know, middle school, honestly. Mm-hmm. And he posted something like- about like the SpaceX launch, which by the way was the quintessential highlight of my, I'm sitting here in a NASA. <laughs> right. 
the SpaceX launch really it gave me hope for humanity when I had none. I'm like, we're going to the moon. We're going mm-hmm. to Mars. And I loved it. Um, but I hadn't talked to this guy in a while, and he posted something on um, his Instagram story. And I just started chatting with him back and forth about where we're at in life. It was mm-hmm. awesome. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if I'll ever talk to him again. Mm-hmm. But, like, the simple fact of just, like, chatting with random people. Like, do you chat with your Uber drivers or no? Usually, yeah. So I do the same thing. And I try to learn a little bit about their life every single time. Mm-hmm. Where like, And I've learned so much about so many things talking to Uber drivers mm-hmm. and just like listening to their stories. Cause they like, we go to work and we work for like, uh, whatever doctors or like people in like universities or people in big companies. And like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a sect of people that I frankly don't interact with a lot. And I feel like I need to be more informed of. It's just like yep. working class people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I listen to a lot of my friends and they're like, or just people in general, like I don't talk to my Uber drivers. I just put my headphones in. And I'm like, that's fine, man. Like I've had those days. I've had the days where I just get into the mm-hmm. Uber and I want to listen to NPR or whatever just know the news on the way to work. But most mm-hmm. of the time, it's like, okay, like how, well, a lot of times it's just like, how has COVID hit you? Or yeah. like just understanding like the intricacies of their lives. One You're the, never going to reach out to people, but it gives you this better mm-hmm. understanding. You know what this is tying into really like extremely well is another topic that was covered early on and the idea of being magnetic, being charismatic Yeah, is not isolating, like going in a way out of your way to interact with the people around you. Well, it's like, like instead it's of that 1% like, more effort. Yeah, like let's say you're at the grocery store, instead of, you know, putting on your headphones and listening to music or being on your phone and talking, talking to the guy at the meat counter, because why not? Yeah, just like make conversation with like another customer who you like their shoes. Or just, like just random just, people. Dude, yeah. it makes me feel so freaking happy a lot of time just to have conversations with random people and just learn about them. Mm-hmm. It's really And I think as soon as you start to enter communications with people for with your own agenda with your own goal in mind that is intrinsic to mlm or intrinsic to like trying to sell to people yeah trying to sell to people you completely lose that trust that otherwise you would have with these really cool people so i I have a more nuanced opinion on this and i'm not saying you're wrong i think that if you target people that you know for a sale that specifically will benefit from it then you actually can have the um, opportunity to gain trust. I think the difference is, though, you're not going into the relationship with the hope of a sale. You're going into the sale because you have the relationship of like, yes. hey, this is something, I know this person, I know this friend, and I know what they're, they want and what would be good for them. I'm going to see if this is something they'd consider. Exactly. Well, I also think it's like not presenting it like you're trying to selling. Like My philosophy mm-hmm. on selling is almost like, don't sell. It's mm-hmm. like... Uh, you just freaking call people up, have genuine conversations with them, tell them about what you do for a living, listen to what they do for a living. Hey, do you think this would work? Is this something you'd want to check out? Like, can we set up a demo? Oh, like, I'd be kind of interested in that. That mm-hmm. might fit. Okay, well, like, and then you start telling, I always, in my mm-hmm. trainings, I talk about telling stories, not giving statistics, because people remember mm-hmm. stories really well. Yep. And um, I have found this to be wildly more successful than like trying to pitch people on stuff. People mm-hmm. are so down. Like, I think we get... The funny thing about cold calling is that we, people get so into email marketing that I actually feel like cold calling is almost slightly more effective now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. I think people, yeah. like, if you're calling and not reading from a script and you're just literally reaching out and having a conversation with them, people usually appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, because they can realize interesting, like, immediately if you're, like, roboting it and you're, like, reading from a script or whatever. Because mm-hmm. usually the scripts go on way too long. Yeah. Um, there's no way to make a good script. I was like teaching my interns earlier this week where like, so I follow the script here. I'm like, listen, just don't do the script. 
we're going to bullet mm -hmm. point the four main ideas of the script down and you're going to basically call them as if you're calling your friend. You're like, mm -hmm. my, like, ring, 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 like, my name is blank. I'm calling from blank. Like, the reason for my call is blank. Like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. How are you doing earlier? One of but my, say, yeah. One of my favorite things when I'm having sales calls or reaching out to somebody like that is when I'm reaching out to them for a given purpose and I get to tell them, like, hey, this thing that we're offering that I'm talking about, I just realized isn't relevant for you. Mm -hmm. I no, love that, that feeling. I love dude. the feeling of being able to like say just up front, hey, this isn't relevant for you. I think this might be, but like, I don't want you to invest in something that's not like in your best interest. I got the biggest opportunity of my entire life doing that, actually, where <laughs> I, the guy was like, I want these like 4G LT-based like, radios, this thing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. huh, what's the thing? And we ended up talking before. I'm like, you don't want those. Here's what we want. like. Let's just, like set up some time. Like, I think this is what we want to do. And then we ended up building out this like giant crazy system that like integrated like satellite imaging and like these mm -hmm. radar systems and like all kinds of different surveillance equipment and like just crazy stuff. And it converted what this guy was just calling into our company about. Like, he's like, mm -hmm. I have a little question about blank. And I'm like, eh, no. Mm -hmm. And then he was just way on board to go with like this. You never know how much money someone has or how much capital they're willing to spend to actually solve yep. a problem. So, I don't know. I'm 100% I'm with you. Pushing mm -hmm. a sale is very silly. And yeah. you can gain a lot more trust. I think this works better in, like, long-term relationships rather than transactional relationships, though. Because if you're going in for the long haul, then you might be able to resell that customer on something else in the future if you're very honest with them and they trust you. As, like, an I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I agree on that. Like, okay. yes, B2B or B2E sales lend itself better to it because they're representing their company and not just themselves. But I think if you form a good relationship with a transactional product and, like, they grow to like you, then next time they have somebody or they have, like... Even with stuff I've sold in the past, I had so many referrals from people I turned away. Yeah. Just because they trusted though, me and they like, knew I wouldn't lead them astray. I guess I forgot about referrals. That's a good point. Because you're like, this guy, this is a good guy. Here, connect to this good guy. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's such a cool topic, honestly. I, I really, really love sales as a topic. Well, it's just, it's applied psychology is the way I think about it. It's like how to get people to like you, how to get people to listen to you, how, what mm -hmm. words you should use, like... It is people, people look at sales and I think when they're not in that kind of industry or they don't work in business, they relate car, like into like car salesmen. I heard that a while ago. Where it's yeah. like, oh, like, it's like, like selling cars. And I'm like, no, it's like, that's nothing actually like I what mean, I do. It, it doesn't help when entry level sales for a lot of things is trying to get you to do as much like. It's quantity focused and not quality focused for low level mm -hmm. sales. And but so there's an argument for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not but saying it's good. I'm just saying the way that that's just how the system is right now. I don't but think look, that should be. So let me make the counterpoint, but I do agree with you. But mm -hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. So we were talking about two days ago, we were riding, it was like three days ago, whatever. We were going to go hiking. Mm -hmm. And we were in the car and we were talking. And we were talking about failure mm -hmm. and like the process of learning how to fail and getting mm -hmm. over anxiety so you can go into situations and just kind of be yourself and not worry in these cold calls and just be more ambitious in life because you're not worried about the worst outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that these really, really quick, rapid calls actually teach you that. Because I think before you get into what we're talking about later, 
you actually need to learn how to fall face first and learn mm-hmm. like all the worst things that could possibly happen and kind of understand this really baseline sales psychology before you move up and you start applying more difficult practices. Because I think from yeah. where we are right now, it's like, very easy to look at it yeah. and like, oh, this is easy. I feel like there's a progression that goes from uh, fail enough that you get over it and can yeah. improve, and then you get into more of like refining that craft, and then you get to the point where you almost view failure as like a success. Where failure as is in, awesome. Like, yeah. Right. Like you don't even think of it as failure anymore. You just kind of think of it as a like, hey, that product wasn't right for that person. Like this was. This was like the StarCraft League of Legends thing we talked about where it's like you play a game like long enough and you get a good, good enough at it that when you lose, you can have the ability to actually analyze what you're doing and how you lost and then mm-hmm. apply it to how to be better. And, and like it, it really doesn't matter that you lost. Like it's, no, it, you need to lose to get better. Like yeah. it's required. Yeah, and I think that is like a three or four step process where you go from failure sucks, failure hurts, uh, then failure is numb. Like you don't really just give a shit either. Yeah succeeding or failing is just kind of neutral then you get into more of the like using failure as a tool and then you get into appreciating failure i agree but it's it's one of those things that i've tried to be more not humble about but more understanding of like new hires and people not even people in life like that just like people you run into in life who happen to have like social anxiety or things like that Mm -hmm. because like when i was a kid i had social anxiety and i fundamentally like obviously some things are mental people have mental disorders i understand that Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's just like breaking through, like we were talking about. So I'm trying to be more understanding of people that haven't broken through yet. Yeah. And other people that are also very worried about, um, my brother's kind of this way where he really, really likes winning. He loves winning, but he's very bad at losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, like sore loser. Right. Yeah. So like, Okay. Why is this? And you're like, oh, he gets mad at himself when he loses. How can I, how can I give him advice? And it's hard to make the argument to someone at some point. And you're like, hey, man, like, the more you lose, the better you're going to get at winning. Because well, to relate this back to another thing is um, mm-hmm. there's winning in a small pool of fish where you're like the top dog in like the tiniest dinky pond versus like how much you actually need to fail to get into like the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you're like fighting you know, with sharks and whales and stuff. As much as I really was frustrated with my experience at Northwestern. Uh, one thing I did appreciate as I got further into it was I recognized that I am a very small fish in a massive pond right now. Oh yeah. And that was like, that is the prime territory for learning and growing and just leveling. It's a reality up. check, man. It, it puts you, it, it makes you think you're like, wow, like I was hot shit for a long time and now I'm nothing. Like, Mm-hmm. people need that people need to be taken down a notch sometimes mm-hmm. absolutely and and i left high school thinking you know i am brilliant i'm the smartest person ever and i got into a university and was like man i'm dumb exactly well i think i think it's also something to feel kind of valuable about because i'm the kind of person where like i shit on myself all the time mm-hmm. i'm like i am so dumb i am stupid i am words worse than that mm-hmm. or um, i feel like sometimes the way i present myself isn't necessarily the most professional just because like i'm I don't know, I'm kind of done with like some of these, uh, not politically correct is the word I'm going to use, but just censoring myself in that capacity. Mm-hmm. I'm just more opinionated. Um, sure. And I'm like, well, like, I'm just kind of a dumb guy. And then you like look at like your accomplishments in life and like where you're at. And you're like, I feel like I am dumb compared to the people that I work with who are some of the genuinely the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, so what does that say? You know, and those I don't, people think I'm smart. Yeah. So, I, think, I think both of us agree 
uh, despite our extremely different academic backgrounds, I think we both agree that intelligence is not at all an indicator for success. No, it isn't. Well, because I think intelligence is measured poorly. Because, like, mm-hmm. we've talked about this as well, where it's, like, soft skills versus hard skills. Or maybe I had this conversation with Sean. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, you can be really, really, like, a great engineer mm-hmm. and not, how to, not know how to explain your ideas. And your mm-hmm. ideas will go nowhere. Well, I mean, maybe you can write them down and, like, put them, you know what I'm trying to say. But it's going to be very hard for you to lobby for your own ideas. It's going to be mm-hmm. very hard for you to move up the ladder and create, like, systemic differences. Um, it's not, I don't think, I think IQ has some measurement of intelligence, but I think it's just one measurement of intelligence mm. is the best way to put it. Sure. And I don't think we put enough, there, we don't value soft skills enough because, mm. it, well, they're really hard to value, right? You're like, this person's really good at talking. How do I value that? Is right. there a test they can take? Not really. I don't know. Maybe we should invent But even that. people who come off as intelligent, like just because somebody gives the impression of intelligence doesn't mean they're, yeah. they're currently successful or will be successful. Well, I think, I think generally, there's some people I've seen, you have, like you're Elon Musk types and you're like, you're people that are, you're like, you are intelligence God, right? But then there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that you'll meet kind of at our age where you're like, they come off, they try to be super smart or whatever. And then you're like, you are really, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they think they're a lot better than they are. You know what I'm saying? So. I think um, it ties a little bit into people caring very much. Sorry. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's partially overconfidence. I think it's also uh, people care a lot about their image. Yeah. And especially in your early 20s, like your image is pretty much all you have. Yeah. Uh, at least for most 20-year-olds right out of college. I was thinking about this concept in China called face, where, like, face is everything. And, like, people will spend absurd amounts of money just to have a better image. And I, mm-hmm. I still feel like that idea is so ridiculously stupid. Yeah. Like, One thing people I'm actually... who want to buy, like, a, a Mercedes or something just to look mm-hmm. better. Sorry, go. Yeah. One thing I'm actually... Well, that's definitely a common thing in America, too. Like, people do frequently buy things that they can't afford to keep up an image. But uh, what I was going to say is... One thing I'm actually actively working to uh, implement in my life is trying to be more approachable, less walled off or less formal, less... uh, I want less of that facade, less of that image to appear in my initial get-to-knowing-people phase. I feel as though you and the other people who are close to me recognize exactly who I am and how I'm not really a formal guy, but instinctually we're taught to put on a facade and I don't think that's good. It makes you less approachable. It makes you less easy to feel like you're real and connect with you on a deeper level. I think me and you have a very opposite opinion, not, not opinion on this, but um, not even viewpoint. Basically, here's this, right? Like you in a general way are always almost professional, right? Your, mm-hmm. your demeanor and the way that you speak on a normal basis, even in a friendly conversation is measured, professional, you listen well and all these it's, things. It's more formal. It's yeah. more formal. And the way that I communicate, I think, is like extru- way more casual. Mm-hmm. But it's historically worked out well for me mm-hmm. because I think people relate to it a little bit better. Yes. And, I, and there's, there's definitely yeah. got to be a middle ground between where both of us are at. Yeah, where... like I, could, I can work on a lot, obviously. Right. I, like my formalized speaking helps a lot for like uh, job interviews, for formal situations, for giving speeches. Like there are environments for it. Yeah, but when I'm initially meeting people, and this is how I present myself, 
people have their guard up and they're like, oh shit, this guy is like, this guy means business or some shit. And I'm like, I really don't mean business. I'm just, You're like, I'm really relaxed yeah. right now. Actually, <laughs> I'm having a good time. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I feel the complete opposite where I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. like I'm never being taken seriously despite people mm -hmm. always, always taking me seriously. And then, mm -hmm. you know I mean? Cause it's like, well, like I think I'm brash and I'll swear more and things like that. And these are all the things that I was told not to do. Mm -hmm. Like, you're like, don't be that way. And then yeah. I just kept being that way and it kept working out. And I'm like, Why? Because it builds Why? a faster trust. People feel like they know you. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's the only thing I hate about corporate culture, going back to that. I don't even know when we're going to end this thing. We have no format for how podcast <laughs> work. I mean, this does, uh, real quick, before you go on your tangent, um, this does, like, look at our president right now. The whole yeah, reason yeah. he's in office is because it feels like he's relatable. He's, like he really doesn't have that formal presence to him, which some would say is a bad thing, but a lot of people apparently like enough to vote for him. I, so I read a really good thing about this, and I don't want to get too political, yeah. um, is uh, there was a good debate on if Trump was a good communicator or a poor communicator. And I don't mean a communicator in the sense of actually like expressing his viewpoints or mm -hmm. like getting the word out around it. If he was thing. more diplomatic. Yeah, it, it's that the argument that the... Uh, the article that I was reading was trying to make was that he is a very, very good communicator because when he communicates, one, he's repeating things that his base wants to hear. And I understand that like the majority of the company country is going to get up like up in arms about this. And like, sometimes I get up in arms about this, mm -hmm. but his base, he's repeating this stuff over and over when he speaks, it seems very genuine. And they voted him in because they're like, we want someone from outside the I don't know the government thing going on. You know what I'm saying? Like from outside of politics and mm -hmm. um, he plays that image well, but I don't think he's playing an image. I just think that's him. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like I think in the eighties that was him and that's him now. And he's yeah. just been unwilling to change. And I think it comes off as more genuine to those people. And he's super mm -hmm. divisive because it's like you either hate the guy or you love the guy. Yeah. Um, and I would say like, there's a lot of nuanced opinions. you have. like, I, there are some things Trump has done good, and there are some things that Trump has done there where I'm like, wow, that's incredibly, I didn't see that coming. So, <laughs> you, know, you wake up and there's like 40 tweets, and you're like, Jesus Christ, what happened last night? Is the world going to explode? And you're like, no, it's cool. It's cool, it's man. All good. It's all good. And you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> but to get back off the politics topic yeah. and uh, back into, you were about to speak towards uh, communication style. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know. I guess like this is one of those topics that I almost want to revisit 10 years from now, mm -hmm. you know, where yeah. see I how think, far our respective communication styles have taken us. Although I, again, yes. I'm working to fix mine like not fix. I'm working to adapt mine to be more approachable. I try to swear less. The... My goal is to swear less and <laughs> relentlessly be myself. I think, I don't know. I made this idea like a few years ago where I was like, I was trying to be someone else. And I was just mm -hmm. in high school. This actually even happened to I was like trying to be someone else. I'm like, wow, making friends is so hard. And then I just like stopped giving a fuck. Not mm -hmm. stopped giving a fuck, like I gave a fuck. But like, it's like, I'm just like, whatever, I'm just going to be me. Like if someone wants to like, like I like Dungeons and Dragons. Like I like Starcraft. Like I'm a huge mm -hmm. freaking nerd. And they're like, okay, really? And I'm like, yeah, but I also like, like snowboarding and all these other things and like, mm -hmm. like punk rock. And like, I'm really passionate about stuff. And they're like, you're going to do a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And I think a lot of people, I was talking to my interns again, always relating back to them. And I was talking to one. I'm like, what have you been playing? He's like really nervous. And he's like, I've been playing some Warzone, right? And then I had an analogy mm -hmm. fit up to whatever game he was playing. Right? Sure. And I then he was like so nervous so... to admit it. And I'm like, why? Yeah. It's part of your personality. I feel like so much, and I'm, I'm working on this as well, of like being able to own 
every aspect of your personality yeah. is so key in being approachable and just being successful you be in your career. You are, man. Yeah. Like if, so for the longest time, I was ashamed of the fact that I watched anime. I still but don't like, I still don't love that I watch anime. I mean, I don't, I watch it like super quickly, <laughs> but the fact remains that I still watch it. And it's because of the stereotypes around it. And I'm guessing it was the same with the Warzone guy is like, he doesn't want to be stereotyped as someone who plays Warzone. But what even but, is that stereotype? That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, what is, what is the stereotype of like video game playing 21 year old? Is that like, is he afraid to be stereotyped as, I don't know, I mean, 90% the, the stereotype, of males? The stereotype around like any guy who's overly into yeah. video games is living in your mom's basement playing and just being a neckbeard. See, that's the, thing the, is, that's I, the extreme stereotype. I think that stereotype existed a lot stronger while back, right? Because mm-hmm. like, Whatever, even your, I'll call them your jock kids, right? They're yep. like, oh my god, 2K14 is coming out, or I don't even know what year it is anymore. Mm-hmm. 2K2020. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in quarantine so long that we've gone back in time. <laughs> but you know, but like the NBA I, 2K, I, whatever. I'm not saying that there's merit to those stereotypes. I'm just yeah. saying that they exist in people's minds and that causes them to cover up exactly what they're into. Oh, That's how sure. it is for me, at least with anime, where I, I for the longest time I would like, until recently when watching anime became cool yeah. <laughs> among so many crowds, I just straight up didn't tell people. Aren't there girls and even now, I don't really bring it up, but I'm no longer ashamed of it. It's no, just dude, I bring, like, up, I bring up D&D so often. Like, I will let every single person, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's like, I, I was my intern, I, or not my intern, sorry, her name is Alex, and she's mm-hmm. a person that was onboarding. And it was like mm-hmm. four days into onboarding. She's like, what did you do this weekend? And I'm like, oh, we had D&D. And she's like, what's D&D? And I'm like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons. As if she would know, my brain is just... <laughs> and she's like, oh, is that a board game? And I'm like, no, it's kind of like imagination. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like I imagined, oh, like we yeah. all get together. And like, whenever I we, describe like, like fate and we or... pretend we're elves. <laughs> whenever I describe fate or D&D or any of those role-playing games, I yeah. usually just describe it as group storytelling. Dude, well, it is, though. It's group storytelling, but it's mm-hmm. also, like, the best communication exercise you can possibly have. It's you know really funny. Like, well, it's like, I was thinking about this a while ago. We were talking about it, where I was like, you know, okay, this is the dumbest story of my entire life. Not mm-hmm. even really. I have dumber stories. <laughs> but I was going to college for a communications degree and minoring in business. Mm-hmm. And their, the acting program and the arts program got basically shut down because not enough people actually signed up for those. So they merged the communications program and the acting program together. Mm-hmm. Or the theater program, whatever it's called. So, but then being merged together during my junior year, for me to get my degree, which now says like communications, media, and theater, mm-hmm. um, I had to finish a few acting classes. And one, it was, I, I went into it and I'm like, this is going to suck. I do not want to read like a whatever, like some kind of script, be in mm-hmm. a play. This is dumb. <laughs> and after it, I'm like, it probably took maybe halfway through the semester for me to be like, okay, I actually really want to try to be good this time. I do not want to be the worst person at doing my lines in the class. I want to remember my lines. I like, mm-hmm. I just want to be mediocre at this. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of my like second acting class, I was like, this is a blast. Like, mm-hmm. why does this have a stereotype attached to it? Like, I don't know. And it helped I mean, me even now there are, better. Like, I mean, but there are some stereotypes that are so hard to pull out from your conscience just because they're often true. I mean, this, plays into stereotypes not just around hobbies but also you know different ethnicities yeah because you know they exist for a reason not because they exist because that culture or that hobby frequently attracts that kind of person or i don't think i don't think the hobby creates that kind of person but i think that it attracts that kind of person 
maybe well, I think maybe it's open mindedness too though, because like the first time yeah. I got asked to play D and D, it was like at like Joe's house, and like Jace was like, "Oh, do you want to come over and do this? We're gonna like go and like chill mm-hmm. and get drunk in this gazebo and like play D and D." And I'm like, "D and D's for nerds. Like, who the fuck does that?" Because mm-hmm. I'm like into snowboarding and punk rock at this time, and I'm like, "Yeah." Like, I am way cooler than you, even though, like, I met this guy in a programming class. So, like, where's my elitism? Mm-hmm. Um, See, I'm going to pull in some uh, Dr. Seuss shit, and it turns into something like, those who matter don't mind, those who mind don't matter. Exactly. That's so good. <laughs> but, yeah, then I went to it, and I'm like, oh, like, I totally misjudged this whole thing. So maybe this is just, like, people later in life, like, if you you just stop judging people because you realize that, like, oh, everyone's different. This is, it might actually be really cool. Like, mm-hmm. why, why prejudge something that I know nothing about? Which is, like, yeah. the entire, like, Dunning, what is that called? The curve? I mean, that even, are... I'm not sure if that's a Dunning-Kruger effect thing. I think this is more of just a stereotyping thing of, like, even now when I think of theater kids, that is a stereotype in my mind. Yeah. Where somebody says they were, like, huge into theater in high school or even college, I associate that with a certain personality type, even if that's nothing like who they actually are. But they're super important. Those, this goes back to our soft skills things. Like mm-hmm. those theater kids are freaking killing it when it comes to like understanding soft skills and like how to communicate mm-hmm. and like all of this. Oh, totally. And, I'm not devaluing it. No, I'm no, just no, saying I don't that think you are. Like, there is that stereotype. Yeah, yeah. No, it totally is. And I still like I still have to separate myself from that because I'm like, mm-hmm. no, like you're going to an acting class or you're like some oh, kind of. Oh, you're that kind of person. Huh? You're that kind of person, right? I'm gonna put you in this thing. You're like. Oh, you're like an art person. And the funny thing is like how much we rely on artists, right? We're like, mm-hmm. I love movies. I love video games. Yeah. I love entertainment. And you're like, oh, this kid going to an art school, he's not going to do anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, why do I make that judgment call on art mm-hmm. kids? Like, you're, you're just, maybe it's because we identify we're like, the likelihood of that person making money in this major is low. But yeah. to that person, they're like, I just like doing this. Just respect me. Mm-hmm. And I think I should definitely try harder to... Well, this ties into our own, this ties into both of our upbringings around uh, successful careers and money is there is a lot of value around stability, a lot of value around consistency and low, I wouldn't say low risk, but more reliable outcome to a certain career direction. Well, I was thinking about this recently during quarantine because I was like, I had this conversation with my dad a while back where we were talking about um, working for a smaller company versus working for a bigger company and like the value of stability. And I'm like, whatever, dad, you don't know anything. And like, then like I reflected on it now and I'm like, okay, like I'm really happy I work for a big company because I like watching all these people get laid off from much smaller companies. I couldn't take the, the brunt of this burden. Yep. Like even if I would have made like maybe five or 10% more, I mm-hmm. have five or 10% more now because those right. people don't have jobs. I mean, we even have, um, we have some friends in our friend group who literally they were for a startup and they just had 10% of their company get fired. Oh, yeah. Well, we had other friends that lost their jobs during the er, no, beginning of the yeah. pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Like it's, and, and it's very much, like, a, an important thing. I think if I ever had a kid who wanted to pursue a career in something like music or... Uh, I'd make sure they had a backup, to be like honest that, with you. I wouldn't be sure they had a backup. I would just make sure that they had the work ethic to make it actually succeed. Uh, is this me just being, like, a stick in the mud? I, I think that understanding, like, if my kid was, like, Dad, I want to be a rock star. And I was like, you know, I want to empower you to do that. Let's get you some guitar lessons. Like, let's get you in a local band. Mm-hmm. Let's see how I can help you. Maybe a music camp would be good. But mm-hmm. I think still I'd be like, okay, you're probably going to – you're really good at guitar. You really like your band. But how about we get a major that, like, maybe is useful? Oh, no. I would take the approach of, okay, you want to pursue – you want to be a rock star? Okay, then I want – then you need to learn business skills. 
Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing because you want to know actually how they negotiate a contract. So then they yeah. have something to fall back on, but it actually does leverage their career in the perfect direction. Mm-hmm. Or in a good and they direction can have their, their own, they can be their own manager to an extent at early stages and know how to market, know how to like, yeah. get themselves also, out there. It's also what and, I would consider a less difficult major where they can focus more on their musical stuff and like still be mm-hmm. accomplished school. And, and I could just tell them like, look, you're going to get good at music with or without the major. Oh yeah. Like, if that's, you're passionate about it, you'll make it happen. Yeah. You're, you got to be a self-starter. learning the skills that are going to make you a successful musician, and career-wise, those are not things you'll learn naturally. Those are things you're going to have to go out of your way to pick up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so that's the approach I would take with it. Same with, like, same with like somebody who's really passionate about history. I mm-hmm. would look into, like, okay, what do you want to do with that? What is the career you want to have in history? Okay, so what are the skills outside of the immediate history side that you'll need to make that successful? Because the passion side is going to come naturally. If I were passionate about history, I would be spending all of my time reading up on history. I don't need a major in that. Oh, yeah. Uh, history is a cool major. Like, but I, I like being like the kind of arms, armchair historian where like, I just watch a bunch of YouTube videos about history. I was up until like 3 a.m. last night listening to an account of mm-hmm. when the Japanese first encountered the Dutch and like mm-hmm. when they wrote down from it. And like, that's, like, I think that's where my baseline history is. But yeah. we need people that are super, super well-versed in this just because I think another thing I've learned during quarantine is how important history is. Mm-hmm. I was looking, I was thinking about the BLM stuff. And I would I love... Think, like, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, go. I think something that would be a lot of fun, at least for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I would have a, so much fun figuring out, like, this is where somebody wants... And this is actually kind of along the lines of originally what Summarize It was for. Uh, but just helping people figure out, like, okay this is the career you want to go down. Yeah. What is the optimal path to get there? That'd be so cool. That'd be such a good consulting business, like a consulting business for like college students mm-hmm. or like recent college grads. We should totally do that. <laughs> we could That's not a bad idea. One of the things I was also just thinking about like a sales training thing, but like I actually like that better. We should just <laughs> it just seems like so business. much fun of like, Hey, I want to become a successful, like, yeah. how do I become a successful, successful museum curator? How do I get there? Like, yeah, even that, that would be so much fun of, like, well, this is the baseline knowledge you'd need in terms of your field. This is the skills outside of that, the soft skills you'd need. This is how you could get those soft skills. We should make, like, an interactive web that, like, you select, like, an endpoint that you want, and it kind of shows all the paths of how to get there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because all these overlap. Like, if I wanted to mm-hmm. do X, I could start in whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm talking to you about, like, oh, we should start a private practice. Like, I... Dreaded, I'm reliant on like you and other people to get medical <laughs> skills. But I'm like, oh, I would love to start a biotech company. Nick, please get a degree. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to be able to do surgery so I can invent products. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Do you want to start closing it up soon? Uh, yeah, we can wrap things up. Okay. How do we even do this? <laughs> How do we wrap uh, it up? Yeah, I guess kind of the summarized version of our conversation is I wrote it uh, down. <laughs> the, the summarize it piece of the summarize it podcast is uh, one of the big things is don't judge books by their covers. Okay, learn to fail. Uh, yeah, learn to fail and be okay with failure. Uh, be... Be yourself. Be yourself and also put other people's successes before your own immediate profit. Yeah. This is like a really wholesome... These are some wholesome messages we got here. <laughs> <laughs> um... What else did we cover? We covered a lot. I got, I, got, I got D&D, highlights of quarantine, working from home, communication skills, learning to fail. And then I ran out of paper. 
Highlights of quarantine. What do we cover through that segment? That I don't know. Segment. Learning, like having good time. Oh yeah, give your yourself life. time to explore who you are. That's another. That's a good segment. one. And figure out what you will find fulfilling in life, not what society expects you to find fulfilling, because it won't okay. be a job. Sweet. Okay. Um. I guess we just stop it here. We're probably gonna do yeah. one of these once every week, or try at least. That's what I have in Google Calendar. Um. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna come into this with a few topics every week. We might have guests, invite some other people on. But I think the goal is to kind of keep this really chill and casual and just mm-hmm. we're going to have a conversation. We're going to invite people on, maybe yeah, not anyone, an interview. And if, anyone and if anyone who does end up listening to this ends up having particular topics they want explored or talked about or just discussed yeah. to have backboarded, uh, let us know. And who knows, maybe we can even just invite the person who brings it up to the call as well to discuss it. Perfect. Oh, yeah, it'll be on LinkedIn, Spotify, and YouTube. Cool. Cool. Okay. Great. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.